For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Dirt Show. Um, as you, I'm sure, have seen on television, there was a massive demonstration against anti-Semitism uh, in favor of returning the hostages and in favor of Israel in Washington, D.C. I don't want to pour any cold water on it. It, it was a great it was a great event. Uh, President Herzog uh, of Israel spoke uh, by video uh, from the Western Wall, from the Kotel, uh, other great, great speakers. Um, and there was a show of real solidarity. But I have to tell you, I'm not a fan of this kind of um, rally or, or demonstration. I don't know that it really uh, improves the situation or changes any minds. Indeed, it could, it could sometimes backfire. Estimates, and you never know crowd estimates, ask Donald Trump about crowd estimates. You never know about the accuracy of crowd estimates, but the Park Department estimated the crowd uh, today at about 60,000. That sounds like a lot. There were 300,000 in London, a much smaller country than the United States, much easier to get to London uh, from outside of the city than to get to um, uh, D.C., uh, there were there were there were three hundred thousand, three hundred thousand uh, anti-Israel demonstrators. So if you're going to have a contest, you don't want to lose. Uh, Sixty thousand is a lot, but it's not a lot compared to three hundred thousand. And of course, there'll be other anti-Israel demonstrations in the capital that will exceed the number of uh, of uh, pro-Israel demonstrators. I I don't know what it shows you, what, there are more anti-Israel people in the United States? No, it it doesn't, uh, because the polls demonstrate that, I don't know, 80% in that range generally support Israel, not among the young and not among young Democrats, and certainly not among college uh, students where where bigotry is is rampant. Uh, Just today, a hundred of my former colleagues, uh, Harvard uh, law professors, signed a despicable letter uh, condemning Harvard for being too pro-Israel. Boy, that's a new definition of chutzpah, condemning Harvard for being too Israel, saying, you know, the issue is a close one. It's a, it's a close one. Lynching, well, you know, lynching, lynching African-Americans in the South, that's a complex, close issue. Um, um, raping women? Oh, no, there are two sides. No, there aren't two sides to those issues. And no, there isn't two sides to what Hamas did uh, on, on October 7th and how the reaction of Harvard students was on October 8th and reactions all over the rest of the world. But these 100 uh, hard left, woke, progressive, including one I know who's a just just uh, a liar uh, who makes up uh, research and should be fired. Um, uh, but uh, some of the other professors, 
will sign anything that's anti-Israel. They're just part of the posse, the anti-Israel posse. But a hundred of them were willing to sign a letter. It's a complex issue, two sides. Harvard shouldn't be supportive of Israel. No, uh, um, they would never sign a letter. And they did it on the grounds of free speech and academic freedom. Nonsense. Can you imagine any of them signing a letter saying two sides on the issue of uh, segregation? Maybe it's better uh, two sides to the issue of, again, rape or or sexual assault. No, there are some issues that simply don't have two sides. And Hamas doesn't have two sides. You know, you can say there are there are issues on two sides uh, of the conflict between Israel and the Arabs, Israel and the Palestinians. I don't think there's much to the other side when you realize that Israel offered the Palestinians a state, essentially, 1937, 1938, 1948, 1967, 1992, 19, uh, whatever, a uh, few years later, 2000, 2001, 2005, 2007, and, and most recently in the Palestinians didn't know how to take yes for an answer and always said no. So I don't think there are two sides to this issue. Uh, the occupation didn't have to exist and could have ended and would have ended had the Palestinians only been willing to recognize Israel as the nation state of the Jewish people, but they haven't been willing. And so they've inflicted the suffering on themselves. Yeah, there is an occupation. Now, there's no occupation of Ramallah, as I've said before in the show, the nicest city in all of Israel, um, much not much easier city to live in than, than Jerusalem. Uh, Barack Obama, who knows better, has said that life in Ramallah essentially is unbearable. It's better than life in the District of Columbia. It's 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 a beautiful city with with white stone and uh, people driving Mercedes with high tech stores. Everybody has a cell phone. People are are making a lot of money. The restaurants are fantastic. That's the occupation. No, I don't think that's the occupation. Uh, that's that, that's that's that that's not an unbearable occupation as far as Gaza is concerned. There was an occupation, um, and Israel has looks like it's trying to end that occupation. The occupation was imposed on the people of Gaza by Hamas. Now, some of them voluntarily voted, uh, plurality, voted for, for Hamas. Some of them had the occupation inflicted on them, but the, the um, unbearableness of Gaza, and it's not unbearable. I've been in Gaza. Also, nice stores, nice buildings. Uh, nobody's starving to death. Nobody. Um, I'm talking about before um, the horrible events of October 7th. Life there was not unbearable. Obama's just lying. And he knows better because he's been. Uh, he's seen. He knows better. He knows he's not telling the truth. Life is not unbearable. Life may be unbearable in some parts of the world um, about which there are no protests or complaints. But uh, Gaza is not one of them. And to the extent it might be, it's the fault of Hamas. And certainly the West Bank is not one of them. There are areas of the West Bank that are militarily occupied, like Janine, which has been the central place from which terrorists have come to kill innocent Israelis. Every country has the right to uh, prevent terrorists from coming onto its territory and killing its civilians. So there's so much mythology and, and so much falsehood that I, I wish the resources that went into planning this 60,000 person march had instead, or in addition, gone into um, providing substantive responses. 
getting people to go online, getting people to uh, uh, lobby Congress, getting people to do things that I think have a greater impact than, than just waving flags and marching, especially since the numbers weren't high enough. Um, the 60,000 number was disappointing. I don't know how you explain that American Jews, Zionists, pro-Israel people, non-Jews who are supporter of Israel, I don't know how to explain uh, to a doubter how the people who are supportive of Israel get only 60,000 in the United States, a very large country, and the anti-Israel protesters in London get 300,000. How do you explain that? Um, I don't want to have to explain that. That's why I'm, I'm not thrilled about uh, that way of allocating resources. Again, I congratulate the people who did it. I think it was a great, wonderful event. I'm sure it made lots of people who went there feel good about doing something on behalf of uh, Israel. But did it change any minds? I don't know. I don't know whether the 300,000 demonstration in London changed uh, any, any minds. Um, what it showed is there's an enormous amount of opposition to Israel and to Jews in London and in Paris and in, in Sydney, Australia, and in other capitals of the world. These are not people who care about human rights. These are not people who care about others who are oppressed. Uh, these are people who only care about the Palestinians because they're alleged oppressors are Jews. The issue in the Middle East is not about Palestinians. It's about Jews. If the Palestinians were oppressed by another group, as they were, remember that between 1948 and 1967, the Gaza Strip was occupied by Egypt. Nobody complained. I didn't hear a single word. The West Bank was occupied by Jordan. Not a word. Not a word. We didn't hear anything because Jews weren't involved and Israel wasn't involved. So this is not about the Palestinians. This is not about Arabs. This is not about Muslims. This is about Israel and about Jews. And that's the reason why 300,000 people show up in London and why 60,000 people show up in, in, in Washington, D.C. What I think is needed is um, more discussion, more facts have to be put out there, um, more social media, um, more efforts to make the case for Israel in a way that can be understood. And maybe you can actually change some young minds. I'm not sure. Uh, 20 something years ago, I wrote a book called The Case for Israel. Um, and it was a big bestseller on college campuses. People were willing to read about it and to change minds. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm 85 years old. And the next Case for Israel book has to be written by a 25-year-old, not an 85-year-old. It has to be talking their language. And maybe it's not a book. Um, maybe it's social media posts. Uh, maybe it's other methods of communicating with young people that I'm not capable of doing. I barely know how to use my cell phone. I don't own a computer. You're watching me on a computer now that belongs to my wife. Um, uh, I, I'm not a computer person. So I'm not the person to make the case for the current case for Israel. I can help make that case. 
I make it on this show, but I can only make it in a low-tech way. And I can only make it in a way that appeals to my generation, perhaps a generation or two younger than mine, but it's not going to be the most effective case for the people who determine the future of, of politics. Um, and that's why it's so important for young people to uh, take on this task. Now, there were a lot of young people in the demonstration today. That's good. But, you know, my preference is if you've got 10 hours uh, to give uh, and you have a choice of getting on a train and waving a flag and then going back home or during that 10 hours writing a really good op-ed for your high school or college newspaper or for your website or for, you know, one of the social media all right, maybe you can write the op-ed on the train on the way there, and that way you have your cake and eat it. But uh, I think that communicating the case for Israel and the case against Hamas is uh, done more effectively than by flag-waving and uh, trying to produce uh, 60,000 people. So um, not not a big fan uh, of that. Um, you know, I've participated in my share of demonstrations uh, particularly when I was younger, um, and I marched, and you know, I marched uh, for civil rights, and I went on the march in Washington. I was at Martin Luther King's famous "I Have a uh, Dream" speech. I was way in the back. I wasn't really part of the crowd. I was there with the judge for whom I was clerking, in violation of the chief justice's order that employees of the judiciary should not go to the Martin Luther King speech because there might be cases growing out of it. They expected there might be violence. There wasn't. But uh, we were told not to go. But my judge, Judge David Bazelon, um, decided I should go and he would go and we went. And so, you know, yeah, I participated in that. I don't remember how many people were there. It wasn't the quantity that mattered there. It was the magnificent speech of, of Martin Luther King. And, and by the way, I mentioned this before. It was the most boring demonstration I'd ever been to until Martin Luther King got up to speak. Everybody, every labor union leader got up and spoke and put us all to sleep. Everybody was talking to each other. They were just buzzing through the crowds. Nobody was paying any attention. It was one of the worst demonstrations I had ever been to until that magic moment when Martin Luther King just enthralled the crowd. Uh, with his uh, oratory and his uh, uh, sense of time and place. It was really an amazing event. I mean, I only heard it on on, on, on microphone, you know, megaphone, and because uh, I was way in, I was essentially near the federal courthouse on on uh, uh, Fifth Street, I think it was. It, but it, in any event, um, it, I'm glad I was there. Uh, you know, it was a historic event. My presence didn't make any difference. Um, did that demonstration really improve the status of civil rights in America? I'm not so sure. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, obviously, taking cases to the Supreme Court uh, had bigger influence. Uh, Brown versus Board of Education uh, and cases uh, subsequent uh, to that. I went down south. I, I didn't march um, in down south. I trained at uh, Howard Law School with the NAACP Legal Defense Fund uh, during one of my summers in, in law school. And 
I went down there um, as a kind of martial monitor. I remember I had a, a white uh, little armband that said, you know, I'm not a demonstrator. I'm, don't, 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 don't send the dog after me. You don't, I wasn't a press person, but I wasn't a demonstrator. I was kind of an observer and a monitor. And uh, I had my little brownie camera. Uh, I don't think any of the film came out, but uh, um, in, in any event, um, there I was. One of my cousins went down there as a real demonstrator and ended up getting arrested and spending a a night or two in in prison. I mean, he was a hero. I wasn't a hero. It was just, I was just there to observe uh, and to report, to be a witness in the event there were any trials that grew out of it. I never was called uh, as a witness in any of the cases. But, uh, you know, there's a time, there's a place to everything. There's a season. And I'm, again, not going to condemn uh, the marches, um, um, uh, I want to commend them for their efforts and for doing it. I want to commend the speakers. I heard a few of the speakers. Um, um, uh, President Herzog was magnificent, gave a great, stirring, inspirational uh, speech. Um, I heard a couple of others as well. Some good, some not so good. That's what you expect. Um, uh, there was no, there was no, I have a dream moment. Um, and um, there were some absences. That were notable. Uh, the uh, the the Biden administration was represented by an assistant, assistant, assistant to an assistant to an assistant uh, in, in charge of anti-Semitism. I know her; she's a very nice lady, but she uh, is not a high-ranking member of the administration, uh, and yet she was the one representing the administration uh, there. It could have been better, um, but. Again, they 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 needed to make their case, and and the substantive case that was made was a, a strong one, the case against Hamas. But people mostly don't listen, and and television cameras just panned on the crowds and just talked about the numbers and didn't really talk about the substance. They did show President Herzog's speech and excerpts of of a few others, but this was not a substantive event. It was. Um, an event uh, mostly uh, reflecting the, the numbers of people who traveled all over. Busloads from Cleveland, busloads from St. Louis, people from Florida, people from all over. And a lot of people asked me if I was going to go. And I'm a little old, I'm a little 85. I'm not really in the mood to become uh, part of a crowd of 60,000 people. I watched it uh, on, on TV. Um, but, uh, you know, let's... More demonstrations, fine. Demonstrations in colleges, fine. But uh, maybe because I'm a lawyer, my approach is bring lawsuits. Um, I have an article I'm working on now about whether or not parents of college students and the students themselves can bring lawsuits against colleges and universities that don't provide a safe uh, place for them. That um, uh, there are some students who've dropped out of school because they're afraid physically. There are some students who don't go to class because they're afraid uh, physically. There are some students that uh, um, uh, take alternate routes every day because they're afraid um, physically. There are uh, students who have been graded down by teachers and um, students uh, who, uh, uh, who uh, are, are worried about being graded down or having recommendations. It was a case a few years ago where um, a student 
uh, went over to a teacher and, and she asked him, would you write me a recommendation? I'm taking a year off. And he said, oh, great. Of course, I'd love to write you a recommendation. You're my best student. Where are you going for your year? And she said, Israel. And he said, well, I'm not going to write you a recommendation. Sorry. I'm just not going to do that. Um, is that appropriate? Is that an exercise of academic freedom? Um, or is it, uh, is it uh, uh, a display of bigotry? Um, I guess it could be both. Uh, academic freedom may include the right to be a bigot, but it doesn't include the right to be a bigot and not be criticized for it. So, um, you know, my feelings about the First Amendment is let anybody say whatever they want. Just don't stop me from responding. So I wrote a, an open letter to law firms the other day. It was published in the New York Law Journal um, in which I said, look, uh, if you're um, um, uh, an African-American client and you go to a law firm and the law firm assigns you a lawyer who belongs to the Ku Klux Klan um, and supports lynchings, uh, I, I don't think you'd be too happy with that. And I don't think a law firm has a right to assign you somebody like that without your consent. So I made the same point about the National Lawyers Guild, this despicable organization of hard left progressive woke anti-Semites uh, who on the day after the uh, October 7th justified Hamas, praised Hamas, um, uh, basically said, hey, beheadings, rapes, that's fine as long as they're of Jews. Um, and so that despicable organization has branches in virtually every law school, and a lot of their the, the, the students are hired. Now, if I'm Jewish or Christian Zionist, and I go to a law firm and I say, you know, I need a lawyer for a complex commercial case. Oh, we got a great lawyer. Uh, here, take him uh, or her. And unbeknownst to you, this is a lawyer who supports beheadings and rapes and kidnappings. Don't you think you have a right to know? So I wrote a piece saying as a teacher of legal ethics, I think if a law firm is hiring anybody from the National Lawyers Guild or from any other organization that supports beheadings and rapes, they have an obligation to tell their clients and have their clients give informed consent to have them represent them. You don't fire them, just, you know, make sure your clients know. So one of the heads of the National Lawyers Guild, a, a woman who is virulently anti-Israel, uh, wrote a response to my article saying, McCarthyism, McCarthyism, free speech, free speech. What nonsense. If, if the argument I had made was that Klansmen who support lynching have to have that disclosed. She would be applauding it. She'd be praising it. But because it's Israel, she hypocritically is opposed to it. So, you know, that's what's happening in the world today. And um, it's going to continue to be happening in the world today. And unfortunately, the March on Washington, although it sent an important message to Congress and to uh, the president and, uh, and to people in general, I don't think it's going to change the anti-Semitism of the National Lawyers Guild, the anti-Semitism of the Bronx Defenders Organization, and the anti-Semitism of so many uh, university uh, teachers and, and others uh, from the progressive, woke, hard left. Um, um, they have to be held accountable in the court of public opinion, and I'm part of that. I'm the prosecutor in the court of public opinion when it comes to Israel. So don't, don't expect me to be silent in the face of you exercising your First Amendment rights. 
I'm going to exercise mine and you're not going to like it. Okay. Let's look at some letters. Um, well, this is one. I've gotten about 10 of these. Don't you find it ironic that you oppose the murder of Palestinian babies in hospitals while you support the murder of American babies in abortion clinics? No, it's not ironic. If you can't understand the difference between a four-hour-old zygote, a little tiny mini-cell, and a 19-year-old beautiful, intelligent, brilliant woman or mother or, or grandmother, then we have nothing to talk about. There is an enormous difference. Uh, abortion is a controversial issue. I don't favor late-term uh, abortion, but I do favor the right of a woman to choose early-term abortion. And if you compare that to the murder of uh, babies or adults uh, by Hamas, then you don't understand anything about morality. And I'm going to continue to make that distinction, and you're going to continue to disagree with it. Um, professor. There have been several news articles pointing out that three of the top Hamas leaders are actually billionaires who live in luxury in Qatar. Meantime, people in Gaza live in poverty. Do you think all of these college kids who are supporting Hamas really understand who they are supporting? No, of course they don't. I've been in, in Qatar, gutter, you know, pronounced it a million different ways. I've met with the emir uh, on two occasions with his mother, with his brother. Um, and I probably have seen some of these Hamas leaders, uh, even though I didn't know they were such because you know i stayed in pretty fancy hotels when i was there as there as a guest of the government and i gave lectures at uh universities and i was treated like a king you know taken to see the emirs horses and camels and uh i was really 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 treated well um but you're absolutely right uh this kleptocracy that calls itself hamas uh takes money from the mouths of babies and food from the mouths of babies and fuel from generators to keep babies alive and uses that uh, to enrich themselves and to uh, send rockets to Israel. So I would expect and hope that maybe some students would understand that, but do not put lack of intellectual curiosity beyond the range of any college student today. That's uh, a common phenomenon. If it's not on TikTok, it didn't happen. Okay. Israel is the only country not allowed to win wars, says Douglas Murray. That's a good point. And in fact, Israel was not allowed to win the 67, 73, some of the Gaza and Lebanon wars. But I sure hope it's allowed to win this one. Uh, it will insist. I think it should not listen to the world, even to the United States, if, if it doesn't have to. And it should remind the United States again, yes, a lot of civilians are being killed because they use as human shields, but not even a tiny percentage of those killed in, in Gaza are compare at all to the numbers of civilians who were killed when the United States invaded Iraq and Afghanistan. So look in the mirror and understand that when you're fighting terrorists, inevitably civilians will die and those deaths are the fault of the terrorists. Mr. Dershowitz, pardon my language, but you are a total badass. I don't know if that's meant, I think it's meant as a compliment. Thank you for talking so much needed sense. Your voice is so very important at the time. I'll take the compliment. Thank you. What's even more repugnant is the latest revelation by the IDF that they found UN insignias down in Hamas tunnels. They seem to be making the UN an accomplice who's willing to aid and abet such terrorist organizations 
One can't help but wonder who's going to investigate this possible devious connection. It's obvious. The UN in Gaza is run by Hamas. UNRWA, wow, the United Nations Relief, whatever, is a Hamas subsidiary. Uh, the even, even Doctors Without Borders um, take their orders uh, from, from Hamas and lie. I mean, these doctors lie through their teeth. We've been in these hospitals for 10 years. We never saw a Hamas fighter. Look at what Israel just randomly photographed. A Hamas fighter walking into the hospital carrying an RPG on his shoulder ready to fire rockets and kill Israelis. But you didn't notice. You were too busy, you know, uh, 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 somebody fixing up somebody's sprained ankle. So you didn't notice all the Hamas fighters uh, in the basement. You didn't hear the explosions coming when rockets were sent. No, you're lying. You're lying. The UN is part of the problem, not part of the solution. And the doctors in Gaza who appear on television as if they're the good guys, they're not the good guys. They're the bad guys. They're covering for Hamas. They're turning these hospitals or allowing them to be turned into command centers. And then they're complaining that their patients are hurt. Well, you're hurting the patients by allowing the hospitals to be used as command centers. And in fact, that's the law. The law is a hospital loses its immunity if it's being used by terrorists to attack another country. You are correct on knowing that doctors or know that they're that Hamas is being used using hospitals as a shield. Most likely they're afraid to be killed, but they can quit or leave or ask for help from the Israelis to get them. Okay, but they're complicit. Well, some of them are complicit because they completely agree. A lot of the people at the UN, you know, we hear all these UN people were killed. Yeah, some of them are combatants. Some of them are with Hamas. Some of them are complicit with Hamas. And some of them are really, really civilians. Some are, and you have to have compassion for them. But again, you have to know what you're dealing with. And it's a, it's a mixed picture when it comes to Hamas and the United Nations. Professor Dershowitz, yes, if the police take out an active shooter and his hostage is killed in the process, the death is on the hands of the active shooter. But what if this scenario, a shooter kills a bunch of people, grabs a hostage, take the hostage into a back room, and there's no longer active shooting. If the police take him out uh, and kill the hostage in the process, in that scenario, how do you assess the situation? Same thing. The, the person taking the hostage is responsible. He started. There are cases on that. One called Red Line versus Pennsylvania. Read it. You'll see. Uh, it makes it clear who's responsible for those deaths. And it's always the hostage taker. All right. See you tomorrow. Keep sending letters. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.